0: 40 verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is your time. We are your people. This is your house. We hand ourselves to you and ask that you would do with us as you please during this sacred hour. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to talk to you this morning not about rainbows, but about moonbows. Has anyone ever seen a moonbow? A moonbow is a unique phenomenon which occurs in only two places around the world. And one of those places is the Victoria Falls up in Zimbabwe. A moonbow, or a lunar rainbow, happens when the light of the full moon hits the falls, and it's a beautiful sight to behold. Without delving into the science of it, a moonbow is a, a series of rainbows visible at night in the spray of the Victoria Falls. As the moon's light reflects or bends in the swirling mist, a rainbow forms over the falls, and it's a delight for onlookers. Moonbows are much less intense than solar rainbows. When we look at a solar rainbow, we can see the colors vividly and clearly. But because of the moon's light, a moonbow's light seems spooky, even though it contains all the elements and the colors of a solar rainbow rainbow. The size of the moonbow depends on the moon's closeness to the sky. The lower the moon, the bigger the moonbow. And the largest moonbows occur when the moon is within only an hour or an hour and a half after the rising or the setting of the sun. It's an extremely rare phenomenon. In order for a moon boat to happen, the moon must be in or near its brightest phase. So moon bows are usually seen when it's full moon, but it must also be unobstructed in the sky. In order for a moon boat to appear, Water droplets must be present in the air, and it must be directly opposite the moon. In order for a moon boat to appear, the moon must be low in the sky, no more than 42 degrees above the horizon. And all of these three things need to happen together because only when it happens simultaneously will you see a moonbow. The full moon is nearest the horizon when it's rising or setting, so it's good to visit the spot in the evening or very, very early morning. I said that moonbows are rare. It's so rare that the rainforest is opened only three times times, only three nights of the year, the night before, the night of the full moon, and the night after the full moon. I remember seeing the moonbow at the Victoria Falls. It was a spectacular sight. But more spectacular and intriguing was the response of tourists and visitors who witnessed it with me. What I noticed that day made an indelible impression on my mind. Onlookers displayed a sense of awe, a worship like quality when they saw the moon bow. We had witnessed something powerful, we had witnessed something beyond ourselves. One father said to his children, Did you see that? That was amazing, wasn't it? A little boy replied to his sister, I wish Johnny was here to see it. When we get home, I'm going to be sure to tell Johnny about it. Another child shouted, Hey, Grandpa! Did you see that? Still another said, can we watch it again? When will we be able to watch it again? And through all of those comments, I stood there pensively and I I started worshiping and singing to God as I hummed one of my favorite songs. Cotton candy clouds so fluffy and white, who put you there in a sky of deep Blue, all of this beauty is far too convincing. Master designer, your word must be true. Oh, my friends, I want to submit to you this morning that the same dynamic must happen when we come to worship God. When we come to worship God, we come to see something spectacular. And when we worship God and when we experience His presence, we stand in awe, we are spellbound, we are mesmerized at the life-giving and the life-flowing power of the Holy Spirit, and it should motivate us to tell others what we've experienced. What moonbows did for the tourists that day, our worship should do for those who attend church. The psalmist David wrote and he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and they will put their trust in God. The new century Bible says, many will see this and worship. The text speaks about two elements of worship. And those elements of worship in the text draw us to the direction of worship. The first element and the first direction of worship is the celebration element. Worship must be celebrative. Worship must be vertical. When David experienced the Lord, God had rescued him. God had refreshed him. David had experienced the presence of God in a tangible way, and he was changed And because he had such a great experience, he just couldn't keep quiet about it. He started testifying. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. That's ascending worship. That's versical, vertical worship. David was exuberant in song and praise. He was excited. He could not contain his joy anymore. He could not contain his happiness and his relief. And he started to shout and to sing. All of the Psalms were designed to be sung Singing is an important dynamic in spiritual expression. Singing is mentioned in the book of Psalms at least 68 times. No no wonder Longfellow called the human voice the organ of the soul. The organ of the soul. But it wasn't just any song that David sang. Our text says, he put a new song, a new song into my heart. I have a concern about our church. And I have a concern on occasions like these and and when it gets to communion, and when the eldest starts asking for testimonies, I start praying. I start praying because very often there's an infinite silence, an uncomfortable silence. And it seems like eventually in some congregations, Brother May, the oldest member... Will feel sorry for the elder who's standing up front and calling for the testimony. And so that old brother or sister will get up, Brother Ronnie, and they start testifying. You know, it was 1935. (laughs) And I start thinking to myself, Lord, have mercy. If this testimony were written on a page, the page would have been yellow by now. And the young people would say, the old people are testifying out of the yellow pages. We are called to sing a new song to the Lord. We say that His mercies are new every morning And so when we testify, and thank you for those current testimonies this morning, when we testify, there must be a freshness and a newness in our testimonies. God's mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. It's as though David was seeing God for the first time in worship. And I've discovered that seeing moonbows is never boring each time you see a moonbow you are amazed each time you see a moonbow you stand there entranced each time we leave every person wants to see it again and again that's how worship ought to be we need to express it Again and again, we are called to enter his gates joyfully. I have found that an an, an essential element of worship is rejoicing. Now I hope that you don't come to worship to find some joy because you're not going to get it there. Worship comprises of rejoicing. That prefix re- means to do it again. Again. We come here to share God's goodness to us during the week, not to get a bit of joy and to leave here joyful. Worship includes an expression, a reverberation of what Jesus has done for us. And so our our testimonies must be joyful. Our singing must be praiseworthy. David expressed the song of gratitude to God, to God for who he is, for what he has done, and for what he is doing. He knew that the source of all good gifts is none other than God himself. in addition to a, a, to a vertical dimension worship also has a horizontal dimension the vertical dimension is celebration the horizontal dimension is proclamation proclamation listen what he says in our scripture reading many will see That is, many will know God's presence and will fear, they will revere, they will be awed by his presence. And they will put their trust, they will find their security in the Lord, in the Lord. When David praised God, many saw it. They didn't just hear him praising, they saw him praising. They witnessed the security that he found in God as a result of his praise. And they knew that they too would find the same security. I've pastored a church for 12 years. That church has never had a public campaign That church has never held a stop-smoking clinic. That church has never held a Revelation seminar or a Daniel seminar. But that church... ...decided by the grace of God that we will make Worship. worship an occasion to be remembered. We will make worship the highlight of the week. And so people were attracted to worship as they heard the praise and as they heard the members tell of God's goodness. We don't worship just at church because worship should be a constant attitude and activity of our lives as believers. Ellen White states, church, that obedience to God is still the highest form of worship we can render. It should be a constant part of our lives. But you see, when we come to church, we worship publicly. We worship corporately. And I like the experience and the dynamic of corporate worship. When God answers prayers, he hears, prayers here. Even though I've done the prayer, I cannot go home feeling proud that God has heard my prayer. I can't testify that the fervent effectual prayers of a righteous man availeth much because it's not me praying here. It's all our hearts ascending to God. At the same time, it's all our requests. It's all of our burdens brought before God. That's the beauty of corporate worship. And when a church gathers to worship, the church gathers to witness. Worship always precedes witness. People who are far from God are drawn by people who are close to God. We stood in the hall, ready to wash one another's feet. And my eye caught hold of him. He was a stranger, but he was there. I looked down at his sandaled feet, And I thought to myself, whoever's gonna be bold enough to wash those feet. I can see it in my mind as I'm talking to you now. I wouldn't like to describe it because I may affect your delicate sensibilities. But I found myself walking over to him. And I said to him, can I wash your feet? He sat down. I prayed with him, I washed his feet, I dried his feet, and the towel was brown at the end of it. I changed the the water, came back, and I said to him, would you mind doing the same for me? And he said, sure. So he knelt at my feet, and he prayed a simple prayer. But as he prayed, I got high on the fumes of his alcohol. Communion. He dried my feet, emptied the water, We stood back in the circle. We had a prayer, and then the men started doing the circular thing where they wished one another well and exchanged hugs. And that visitor that day just sobbed uncontrollably. I explained the rest of the procedure to him. He went into the church. He sat around the table with us. And when we finished church, he was still weeping. He held on to me and he said to me, I've never experienced such love. I've never experienced such love. I don't live in this area. But I'll be sure to find the Adventist church closest to me. When people who are far from God see people who are close to God lift their voices in heartfelt praise, when they experience the love of Jesus, they are intrigued. It's like watching a moonbow. There's a mystery, there's a wonder, there's a marvel, and questions are asked. How does this happen? Why does that happen? Sparks from the fire of our worship, you see, ignites dry hearts, and it causes them to sing a new song, And them, in turn, will praise the Lord. So we've seen the two elements, the two directions, the celebrative and the proclamative, the vertical and the horizontal. Let's go to the two dynamics of worship. Having looked at the two directions, let's consider the two dynamics. What else can we learn from Psalm 40, verse 3? Throughout the Bible, folks, there's a closeness between vibrant relationship and good worship. It's reflected in two ways. People who don't know God People who live far from God are drawn to Christ through the worship of those who believe him and those who have been saved by him. People who are spiritually lost are drawn to Christ through worship like a magnet Worship must attract. It must draw people to Christ. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. He is convicted by all and is judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. He speaks of, he's speaking about the person who's far from God. Jesus himself said in Matthew, uh, in John, um, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And though he was speaking directly of his crucifixion, we can apply it to worship too. David cited this evangelistic attraction in worship, and he says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. When God's people experience the presence of God, when they meet with God, when they engage the heart, lives are changed. And as a result of that, those who... William William Booth, Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, used to say, if a church was on fire for God, people for miles would come to watch it. If a church were on fire for the Lord, people would come from miles to watch it burn. To paraphrase Booth, if believers experience the fire of God in worship, then lost people would be drawn to God like moths are drawn to a fire. Our Bible teaches over and over again that God draws seekers to himself through authentic worship. More and more people are coming to Christ through worship than theological discussions. I have had the privilege of, during 28 years of ministry, baptizing more people who encountered God in worship first, and thereafter, we gave them Bible studies. We must never underestimate the power of inviting visitors to worship. We must never underestimate the power of a testimony. People are drawn to Christ through Worship, the sense of God's presence melts the heart and it explodes even mental barriers. Think for a moment about churches who've experienced revival. Churches who experience revival are churches that have good singing. They are churches who have good testimony. They are churches who have good preaching someone said we need revivals again i would suggest to that person that what we need is the power of authentic worship which attracts people to the savior seekers new members can step in here and they may not understand everything that's happening they may not understand some of our SDA terminology, Brother May, like my favorite writer outside the Bible, as this to say. They may not even understand the meaning of a song. They may not understand the significance of communion, but they know joy when they see it. They know authentic Christian fellowship When they experience it, they can tell sincerity of the heart that is crushed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. They know when lives are impacted. They can read when lives are changed. And then they decide, I want, I want what that person has. Let's get a bit closer. The opposite is also true. What happens when a spiritually distant person walks into church, joins us for worship, and they see boredom on the face of the believers? They see the Sabbath walk is different To the weekly walk. What happens when people who are distant from God enter worship and they experience scowls and they see regular attendees yawn? Will they be attracted to Jesus? Since I'm close, can I get a bit closer? Parents, what do our children learn from us about worship? What is your demeanor in worship? Do our children see the same excitement about coming to church as you show when you go and watch that soccer game? Do they see us prepare for worship The way we prepare for a holiday or a birthday party, do they see us as hungry to arrive as we are when we go to that favorite restaurant? In addition to that, are we taking worship into our homes, Adventists? I'm speaking about morning and evening worship in case you've forgotten. Are we taking it into our homes? Just like non believers, our children are watching. Believe me, they're watching. It's good to bring them to church on a Sabbath, it's good to have home in the church, but it's best to have church. In the home. Worship attracts lost people. Let's look at the last dynamic before we close. Spiritually saved people, people who are close to Jesus, are sent out to share their experience with others after worship. This is not the end of it all. It doesn't end at 12 or at half past 12. Through worship, lost people are drawn to Christ. And at the same time, believers feel the tug. They feel the urge. They should feel the compelling force of God to tell others about him. Let's cite quickly a few biblical examples. In Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 8, we have Isaiah going up to the temple to worship. And he stands there and he records and says, I saw the Lord seated high and lofty on his throne and his robe fold the temples. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Isaiah was commissioned to go. He was commissioned to speak to his people only after he had met God in worship. Isaiah saw God, he heard God, and he responded. Can I suggest to us this morning that if Isaiah did not go to the temple to worship, he would not have heard God's calling on his life. He would not have heard God's calling to be one of the major prophets that we have today. In Matthew 26, 28, 16 to 20, we find the 11 disciples traveling to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus directed them. And the scripture tells me that when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he spoke the following words. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What's that church? The Gospel Commission. The Gospel Commission. Do we still believe in the Gospel Commission? The heart of the Adventist church is the gospel commission. We exist in these last days to tell about the coming of Christ. We need to warn the world that we are indeed in the last days and we feel good when the LA leader or the personal ministries leader, as they are now called, gets up and throws at us the gospel commission. But the gospel commission comes to us within the context of worship. They worshipped him, they fell at his face, and then he gave them the commission. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, it was the sound of eternal worship in the upper room. Luke describes it as the sound of a rushing wind. That must have been an awesome sound. That must have been a beautiful sound. It was heard by the 120 there in the upper room. And they were speaking, verse 11 of Acts 2 says, they were speaking magnificent acts of God. Those 120 disciples came down from the upper room and they turned the world upside down. And on one day, at least 3,000 were baptized as a result of their worship experience so one fact stands out to me. The early church witnessed almost by accident. Their witness was a natural outflow of their worship. They told of the joy and the power that they had experienced. And this joy and this power... And this presence compelled them to tell others. And so we have wholehearted worship taking to the whole world a wholehearted gospel. You see, worship is not just where God meets us. It's where God commissions us. And so there are two challenges for us today. What can we do? What do we do after this? Can I make it simple for you? Just do what we did at the Victoria Falls when we saw the moonbow. Come every week. Come every week and get a good seat so that you can witness the miracle. Come every week. Come to celebrate. You know, these days technology makes it easy, hey? I guess there are some right now who are watching me, but they're still sitting in their pajamas, and there's still uh, a cup of coffee next to the couch. I'm speaking to you now, not to the converted in you. Come every week. Come every week. The word of God says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So much more as we see the day approaching. Come every week. Come to celebrate. Lay aside the troubles. Lay aside the anxieties. Lay aside the fears. Lay aside the cares. Just come to celebrate the mercy and the grace of God. And I'm praying for the preachers now. I pray that as preachers and elders, when we stand in the pulpit, we would not whip the people, the folk come hurt, let them leave healed. Let them come and let them experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Let them experience God's power to lift them from the slimy pits of life. Let them experience God's provision for a firm setting. Let them sing a new song and a song of praise. And after you've come to celebrate, Tell others about your experience. It's not something to be held to yourself. Invite people to join you at worship. Tell people about the mountaintop experience that you have every Sabbath. Today, we gathered to worship. The singing was good, the tears were meaningful, the laughter is good, the fellowship is good. But to think of it, God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your worship. But I do know he gets close during worship because the psalmist says he inhabits the praises of his people. Are you telling others about Christ? Are you inviting others into his presence? Are you being drawn to him week after week? Are you willing to tell of your experience? True worship leads to witness. Gerard Gustafsson said it best. He said, worship is the goal of evangelism, and evangelism is the fruit of worship. It's like a moonbow. It's like basking in the glory. It's like basking in the splendor But you've got to go home. You don't live there. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've got to go and tell. Go and tell.